quiet your mind. Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But three brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. Welcome to Dawn of Mantis Podcast. True crime mysteries and more. Joe, Sam, Ivan, how are you guys? Good. Did you just ask yourself how yourself was? <laughs> yeah, I did. I'm fine. No, I just announced my own name and then asked you how you were really quick. No one really ever cares about that, so I just go really fast. That's true. This is the small talk part that a lot of people probably click 30 seconds ahead through. And maybe someone's like, I wonder how those boys are. Hopefully so. Yeah. Maybe. Sam, you okay? What? What? I've got a little surprise for you. Oh, oh no. What? Awesome. Coming off the coattails of last week's in the club. In in the club. <laughs> yes. In the club. Yes. Oh yeah. Epic. I got a new version for you. No oh way. Are you serious? You ready? Yes. Oh, I can't Say, wait. Ivan, you didn't know about this? I did not. Okay. Go, go, go. That's amazing. <laughs> I want to drive around jamming to this. I got a subwoofer in my truck. We should all cruise around with big gulps, jamming this. <laughs> Drive up to Fayetteville, cruise around Fiesta Square. No one does that anymore. Oh. We'll do it again, though. Dude, I don't even know what to say. Sam, that was so good. Hey. It, it's got all the stuff that was missing before. Yes. Now it's actually a good song. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's just the same fart sample. I just tuned it for every note. Okay. That's a good PC version, but I know that you actually... Spent hours in here farting in the microphone, getting yes. those other pitches, doing backup for my ass. That's right. Yeah. That's amazing. Sam would like back up and go, and then he would check and he's like, damn it, F flat. I didn't want F flat. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I need another, hey, I need another three burritos from Taco Bell. <laughs> I got work a, to do. He takes a snark and puts it on his left cheek and. <laughs> Oh, right there. Okay, there uh, it is. For those of you who are not musically inclined, oh, a yeah, snark got, is a, yeah. devi a device a device that you clip on the end of your guitar that tells you what tune or key that is. You in. guys are snarkers, right? I mean, yeah, we that, got some that, snarkers yeah, out yeah, there. Snark. I'm a snarker from way. It's back. just it's the it's the quickest way. They have some other brands that you know they just don't do as well. No, the app Guitar Tuna does pretty cool. It's a pretty cool job. But, guitar but, Tuna? Yeah, it's called Guitar Tuna. Tuna. Yeah. Is there a fish on the app? Yeah, oh, there, there is. There like is a, like a. Yeah, that's thin. original. It's a really good app. That's though. real f***ing original. All right. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, Sam. Sam has it on his phone right there. <laughs> oh, there. <laughs> uh, it's just a. It's just a pick now. Yeah, with that fin. Yeah. Okay. See, it has to have some type of fish incorporated into it because it's got the word tuna in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Not to be too snarky, but. <laughs> How I hope everyone is doing fantastic. I know that everyone who listened to last week's episode, I know your life has been changed by yes. that song in the yes. club. 
I know it's been changed. I know that's okay. I know you're seeing the world through a different lens now since you heard that, and I have too. And yes. it's okay. And and hopefully we can all navigate this new landscape together. True. It just shows that that's possible. You could fart in a certain tune if you really wanted to. Right. Uh, so another door opened for you. You're welcome. Do you know how many years of sphinctoral kegels Ivan had to go through to get his butthole tuned enough to where he could literally achieve an F flat and a G or whatever two chords? Yeah, but Joe, I don't like to brag. I don't want to go there. (laughs) You know, I want to be humble about this. It's too bad you aren't gay because you would be killing it. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. (laughs) Uh, So Joe, what do we have tonight? You know, tonight we're going to do a story. Now, listen, folks, I know we have listeners from around the world. Ken, I'm looking at you, buddy. We're going to do a local story. We don't do these too much. You know, we did Maud Crawford, and every once in a while, you know, the three of us, if you haven't already figured it out, we're from Arkansas, okay? And uh, we all three live in Arkansas. We were all three born and raised in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting in Arkansas right goddamn now. That's Mm -hmm. what's happening. Yep. And so sometimes we do local cases. Now, this... Tonight, we're going to do the first part of a three-part series of one of the earliest, if not the earliest, and perhaps the most significant serial killer in Arkansas history. Woo Pig Suey. Woo Pig Suey. <laughs> now, what, what I proud of this one was the University of Arkansas's... People know that. ...mascot. No, most of these people don't. Well, maybe not overseas, but if you're somewhere around the South and you've played the Razorbacks, you know that. Yeah, the Razorbacks is our college football team mascot. Yeah. And uh, what's the, what is it? Pig Suey or something like that that people do at the football games. The history behind that is they used to yell that at the team when they were coming back from on the bus from a game. The farmers would yell that at at the team and that kind of stuck. Really? Yeah. And, And they were called the Razorbacks already. Yeah, but originally they were the Arkansas Cardinals for a long time. Cardinals? Yeah, that's wow. why our jersey is Cardinal Red. Okay. That's yeah. their official color. Yeah. But a sports writer after a game back in probably in the 20s or something, I'm not sure about the year, said they played like scalded hogs or something. Scalded. And so, is that good or bad? Good. Like oh, they were good. crazy. Oh. I, th- I don't know about scalded hogs, but something like that. Okay. Or wild razorbacks. Maybe that's it. Wild okay. razorbacks. And then the name kind of stuck. Okay. But there was a high school team in Texarkana that were that were the razorbacks before Arkansas was the razorbacks. Okay. Anyway, there's a little bit of history. Cool. I think you history. For yeah. Yeah. I just read that like a month ago. So there's no way I'd return it, retain <laughs> that for too long. But there you go. Well, I still have it in there. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, so there you go, people. Uh, Because I know, like I said, we have people listening from all over the world. And hold on just a moment before I continue. That was was a nice cold Canada dry blackberry flavor. I'm pretty sure I've got my Dawn of Mantis cozy on it already, provided by the lovely Miss Ashley. Thank you. Uh, So I don't know exactly what flavor it is. And they're cozies, by the way. I just took a drink. It is indeed blackberry. I've heard that people call them koozies, but that's not correct. We we looked that up. Those it's, people it's can suck it. It's yeah. koozies. Yeah, they can. My mind has been changed. Yes. All right. Through a gift. I would like to say that I hope and pray that this man that we're about to do the story on, his name was James Weyburn Hall. Okay. His nickname was Red because, like yours truly, he had red hair. Okay. I'm really thinking I might be related to this guy. Okay. Um, His name was Hall. His clan came from just a couple hours south of where we sit right now. It is very possible that I'm related to the most significant serial killer in Arkansas. That would kind of show why you're in here doing true crime every week. Perhaps. And it would also show why I am also a serial killer. Okay. Just kidding. But really, though, (laughs) I called... (laughs) That's what a serial killer would say. Just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) When I heard about this guy... 
obviously I bought a book on him and then looked up a bunch of shit about him and did this podcast three-part episode that we're about to start. Um, I called my mom and I found out that she's not so excited that we might be related to Arkansas's most significant serial killer. Why not? Was, yeah, right? I was like, hey, mom, this is so great. And I even texted her a picture of him and I said, doesn't he look like our Uncle John and Dennis? And doesn't he look? He literally does. He looks like, you could put this guy's picture right in my family album. He would fit right in. He looks like, there's an old saying around this little area there of people that know my family and it goes like this. If you've seen one hall, you've seen them all. Right? Mm-hmm. So we all have this look. Like, a lot of us have red hair, and a lot of us have this... Uh, it's a chiseled jaw, gorgeous Greek god kind of Brad Pitt look. I'm just... That's saying what I've been saying. Sure, yeah. That's... I've just... I've been saying that for years. Right. I've been saying that for years. It's just what I've heard. That's all really just... I'm kidding. But, no. We all... Kind, a lot of us have this similar look, right? And, and this a lot guy, of them are killers. And a lot of us are serial killers. <laughs> And so it's very possible I could be related to this guy. Having said that, my clan of Halls, most of us are just over the line in Oklahoma, just over the line in this other little town. Uh, there's another clan of Halls that are not related to us because every time I tell someone my last name over here, someone will say, are you related to you know this group of Halls? Mm-hmm. They are like educated uh, attorneys and doctors and whatnot. Okay. Uh, my clan of Halls is more like you know, pig farmers and, you know, corn farmers, right? So they could be related to the cough drop people, really, if they they're the medical be. field and type I, of thing. You know what? I need to do an Ancestry.com search, and if I'm related to the cough drop people, yes. I want my f***ing money. Yeah, they, they sell quite a few. I, yeah, I want, a, I want a piece of that. Now, not that they do anything for you while after you've taken it, but while you have it in, you can kind of forget that you have a stuffy, runny nose, like throat thing. But it's like, if I buy those and I want to alleviate that symptom, it's like, you have to have those in your mouth 24-7. You might as well go to Sam's and get a case of them. And that's how they get you. Yeah, that's how they get you. That's how they got rich. Yeah, them dirty hauls. And I want a piece of that. Yes. You should, yeah, there, there's some money in there for you. Here's the deal. I want a piece of the Hall cough drop fortune, and I want to also prove that I'm related to the serial killer. Yes. That's all I want. Yeah, you just want to be famous. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, here we go. So reach out <laughs> if you think he is. So shall we start? We shall. Okay. James Weyburn Hall, my great-great-uncle, was from the small farming community of Happy Valley, Arkansas, which is located in Faulkner County, and that's about 140 miles southeast of where we're sitting right now, Uh, about 30 miles north of Little Rock is where it was located. And what's fun is, uh, as I go through all this, Mm -hmm. uh, most of the places that I name uh, we're going to be very familiar with. Yeah. I apologize to the folks listening. Most of you are not going to have any clue what we're talking about, but but most of us will. There's a whole Google Earth thing. Check Google. Someone, you'll see. Yeah. Yes. That's typing. So uh, Red's, uh, I already said Red. I've done so much research on this guy. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, James Weyburn Hall, he had red hair, and his nickname was Red. Okay. So I'm very used to uh, referring to him as Red, my old uncle there. His father's name was Samuel Jerome Hall a farmer and devout Baptist minister. His mother was Eva Lorena Ingram Hall, and her family had settled in Happy Valley way back in 1859, close to 50 years before the Halls arrived. Okay. There weren't too many families in the area then, nor is there now. So it hadn't taken long for young Sam and Eva to start courting, and the pair was married on September 14th, 1913. As was custom for rural families in that area, the newly married couple immediately set about having babies, and lots of them, 11 in all. 
Wow. With well, yeah, my Hall clan, the where, where I'm from, they had eight. Yeah. Nine, including me. I know that doesn't make sense, but I was adopted, so Thank nine. goodness for cable channels. Yes. We have less kids now. Yes, there you go. And Netflix. <laughs> How many Netflix did that cost? <laughs> oh, and by the way, I was w- adopted from within my family, so I am legitimately a Hall. Okay. To my DNA, so I am legitimately, uh, for the sake of this podcast, I'm going to say, let's just say that I'm related to this guy. Okay. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, let's claim it. I'm related to Red Hall. All right. I I like that. I'm going to say it. Prove me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they had 11 babies. Uh, One of them died shortly after birth, unfortunately. So their fourth child was born on January 28th, 1921, and he was a red-haired baby boy the couple named James Weyburn. The Halls nearly lost James as well when he almost died from typhoid fever at age four, but he survived and grew into the big, healthy farm boy his father needed. All the kids worked on the farm from the moment they were old enough to, and little James, or Red, as he would come to be known, as I just said earlier, obviously because of his uh, wavy, bright red hair, he was no different. Farm life was hard, but Happy Valley was a pretty place that owned up to its name, at least visually, what with its lush green fields and scattered woods bordered with large patches of daffodils and scattered persimmon trees. Many of the surrounding cabins belonged to other members of the Hall and Ingram families, and their collective offspring could have filled a schoolhouse all on their own, what with Red and his siblings and brood of cousins. As a youngster, Red would use a tree stump as a makeshift pulpit and preach fire and brimstone sermons to his young congregation. But obviously, Red didn't continue in his father's footsteps to become a man of the cloth, or else we wouldn't be talking about it. No, this wouldn't be on our podcast. No, it wouldn't be. If he had. By the way, as far as my Hall clan, I remember my grandmother telling me about how uh, when they moved to this area from Tulsa, Mm -hmm. they bought like 40 or 50 acres. And my, my grandmother's Uncle Joe, he never married. And he pretty much just lived with their family up until his death. And so her, uh, him and her father cleared like 40 acres or 50, I can't remember which, with, you know, those saws that, uh, it's a really long saw with a handle on each end and mm-hmm. one guy, yeah, yeah, and they just do the motion. Yeah. They cleared the whole 50 acres with just that. Golly. And she said they made a uh, cabin. It was like a two or three room cabin with a dirt floor. We're talking about in the early what would it be? Probably 20s and 30s yeah. at this time. You know, my family's super, super poor. Sure. And she had remembered them in the wintertime. When that fire went out over the winter, your heat was gone. Sure. And she would wake up uh, to sometimes a pot of water that had been left on the wood stove was frozen solid inside their house. Golly. I don't know why, but I just remember that. And I remember her saying... The first ever, she remembers that uh, her grandfather at that time had found a large tree that had like a fork in it that had fallen over and he cut that section out and he took something and scraped all the bark off where it was just smooth wood and dug a latrine under it. So, so the grandmother could sit on the fork of that tree, almost like a toilet seat and use the latrine. Yeah, that's, I remember her telling me that. Isn't that wild? So it's just like do the best with what you have, you know? Yeah. And and I would imagine you have that and it seems like a huge luxury all of a sudden. Yeah. When you don't know anything different. Sure. You know, and I've told this story on the podcast before, but like when I was, I don't know, I was like 11 or 12 or something. 
or 13 maybe even, when we got our first air conditioner. Like up until that time, no house that we had lived in had ever had air conditioning. We had like a water cooler mm-hmm. that would blow yeah. kind of cool air yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. But it works until August. Yes. You know, yeah. Then but it just blows hot air in too. I lived with my grandparents and I remember their kids all pitched in and bought this air conditioner. It was a window unit mm-hmm. that they stuck in the window of our living room. And I will never, so I'd never known any different. So mm-hmm. I was probably 12 or 13. And uh, my God, I remember when they fired up this air conditioner the first night, there was a couch, like it was in our living room is where they placed it. And you bet your ass, I live. I slept in our living room for like ever after that mm-hmm. in, during the summer. Sure. I remember going and laying on that couch under that air conditioner and that ice cold air was hitting me. And I was, I swear to God, I felt like, we were like the royal family. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this refrigerated air feels fantastic. Where have you been all my life? Yes. Yeah. I had no idea because people, you know, people have asked me like, sure. how did you not die before then in the summers? And I was, and my grandmother used to tell me the same thing about when she was a little kid and, and even an adult, like back in the 20s and 30s and 40s. If you don't know any different. Sure. You just don't know. And you always had tricks. Like, you always knew what windows, like, what two windows to open to get a good draft. And sometimes you just sleep with your door wide open. Oh, yeah. My mom talked about that. Yep. They had have houses with every window open and their front door open. Yep. At night, just, you know, in the summer. And my grandmother Oklahoma. would tell me also in the summer, they would take their uh, beds out onto the porch. Yeah. And they'd sleep outside. Yeah. And think about that, though. They didn't even have electricity. So it, you don't even have a fan. Yeah. You're just at the mercy of the breeze or... I just think it's kind of like today we have a small taste of how you kind of get used to... You get used to temperature. Like, take this, for instance, in the, in the dead of winter, if you ever have a day and it's like 52, you'll see everyone walking around the neighborhood with T-shirts on and stuff. Oh, yeah. But if in the summer, if you have a little, like, cool night in the next day, it's like 50. You see people in big, like, puffy and hoodies coats. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, I mean, I think you get used to temperature swings, but... Back then, they probably just got used to, you know, terrible. It seems like around here, it seems like the weather's always against you with the humidity the way it is. Oh, for sure. It's colder when it's cold, and it's hotter when it's hot. Mm-hmm. And I, I also remember as a child, as far as the the heating and cooling, as far as, you know, not having a um, air conditioner for most of my early childhood, we, all, we didn't have central heat either. Mm. Dude, we had yeah. one in the very center of the house. We had a wood stove. Mm-hmm. And if that son of a bitch ran out of wood in the middle of the night, I remember waking up as a kid in the middle of the night, you could see her breath. Yeah. You know? So here's, okay, one more funny story. No, go ahead. I'm a, I'm a kid. The only source of heat in the house is a wood stove. Okay. And so what you would do is, or what I would do, as soon as I got out of the bathtub, because it's freezing, because the bathroom sure. was far, it was felt like it was miles away from this yeah. wood stove. I would get out of the bathtub, wrap the towel around myself, and I would run through the house to the wood stove and I would dry off next to it and get dressed. So one time I'm still wet, totally wet because I just jumped out of the tub. Um, I run to the wood stove. I bend over to start drying my legs because you kind of dry your legs and work your way up. My ass touches the side of the wood stove and it was an old cast iron pot belly wood stove. So as soon as I lean over, I literally hear like (laughs) my right cheek touches this thing and for months and months like it scalded like a baseball sized circle on my butt cheek yeah because it probably took a minute to realize oh yeah like what was 
happening. Yeah. By the time I realized it, it like skin was still on the stove. <laughs> oh no! When I yeah, when I realized it was bad, dude, it was bad. So anyway. I thought that story was going to end differently. I thought you were going to look up, and then your mom was like, "Well, the ladies decided to come over for Bible study tonight," <laughs> and Joe's like naked around the wood stove. Could you put her. your doodle away, yeah. Joey? <laughs> the girls are here for Bible study. <laughs> anyway, way worse, man. That's terrible. Yeah, singed butt cheek. Way worse. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think I'd rather have that than my mom's prayer group seeing my wiener. Debatable. Debatable. Because <laughs> then you know you're the subject of their prayers <laughs> from then on. Little nudist kid. Little nudist kid. I bet he knew we were here. There's the devil in that boy. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, not long after this. Um, this is, I'm back to red preaching on the old, uh, tree sure, stump on there. the tree stump. Yeah. Just, just to make sure people are following. Not long after this, around the age of 13 or 14, there was a change in red. He developed a short temper, random, sudden mood changes, and an erratic personality, at least at times. He also began to, as his father described, wander off quite a bit. And not just to the edge of the farm or even Faulkner County or even the state of Arkansas. One time... After Red had disappeared for several days, his parents received a postcard from Topeka, Kansas, where Red had hitchhiked and train hopped all the way to, to, to and was making money cutting corn on one of the farms dotting the endless Kansas prairie lands. Yeah. Wow. Just for reference, Topeka is over 400 miles northwest of Happy Valley. Oh, that's insane. These uh, vanishing stunts would become common for Red and would be a part of his personality that would uh, perplex and frustrate those around him for the rest of his short life. Apart from farm work, Red and his siblings were sent to school and he made it to the beginning of his ninth grade year before dropping out to hitch the open road. Which yeah. back at that time, even if you made it to ninth grade, that was kind of remarkable. Yeah. Because a lot of times kids back then... Um, Pretty much like I said earlier, by the time you were old enough to hold a plow or a hoe or something, you were working the farm. Mm -hmm. A lot of those kids didn't have the, I know, you guys. By the time you were old enough to hold a hoe there. I oh, said, I was thinking about plowing. <laughs> and plow that hoe. By the time you were old enough to plow a hoe, <laughs> there's something else <laughs> for the cutting room floor. <laughs> I remember... <laughs> Soon as I was old enough to plow a hoe, daddy let me stay home from school. I didn't have to go to ninth grade no more. I remember the first hoe I plowed. <laughs> oh, you do? Her name oh, was Susie. She had a buck teeth and a lazy eye, but boy, she could ride a pole. <laughs> Dumber than a box of hammers, but good God, she could suck the chrome off a bumper hitch. All right. <laughs> I was, the rust off a of bumper. I was just talking about planting some tomatoes. Oh, well, yes, of course. Some corn. <laughs> Joe's talking about planting a different seed. Mm. All right. Oh, can we get... Oh, right. Ready? <laughs> Although no one is really sure exactly what caused this change in red, here is the prevailing theory. In the words of Samuel Jerome Hall, that's his dad. Remember? I just said that while ago. Yes. Sort of. Quote, and this is in the words of Samuel Jerome Hall, and I really don't know how he sounded, so I'm just going to, seeing as how he's probably related to me, I'm just going to read it like myself. Okay. Since we're blood. We were hauling hay when he was 12 or 13. I really don't think he talked like that. This is 20s, 30s, Southern Arkansas farmer. Draw it out a little bit, right, and then we go. got it. 
We were hauling hay when he was 12 or 13. And he was a big boy. He wanted to help. He was dragging hay to the baler with a pole in each hand. We would be on either side of the haystack pulling with a mule, and he let a pole slip over and strike him on the back of the head. He was unconscious an hour or so. We put him in the truck and took him to Dr. H.H. Hardy's home for treatment. That was the end of the quote. After this quote-unquote treatment, whatever it was, what do you think the treatment was in the 20s or 30s for getting knocked out? Snake oil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably something like that. Just like, Well, obviously, we got to put a a damp towel on his head. Yeah, of course. Yeah, And pray. Yep. All right. That's probably about the extent of it. it After this treatment, whatever that happened to be, those around him described Red as, quote, sick, nervous, and not himself for several days following the accident. And it was another three weeks before the boy was acting like himself again. One friend, Della Fogarty, said, Red wasn't the easiest person to have a conventional conversation with. He tended to be a little agitated at times, not too focused. He would have times when he was perfectly normal, then he would kind of go off the deep end. He went through different cycles in his mentality. Neighbors said he would walk around at night peeping in windows and do stuff like that. And then there'd be times when he would go into a rage for no obvious reason. It was referred to then as, quote, mentally disturbed. Probably went into a rage when people started buying curtains. (laughs) Dang it! That was a good window I was peeping in. There's this new invention called Venetian blinds. Son of a bitch! <laughs> I hate them. Dude, blinds! Had a good thing going. <laughs> For years, my every, my every week Saturday night has been a rousing trip through town where I would peek through the, the rose bushes into someone's back window, into their bedroom. And now they're twisting these little sticks and I can't see anything. Yeah. Who would have thought that just the twist of a stick could obscure my vision? Quiet your mind. As severe as this head trauma sounds like it was, it could very easily have been the catalyst for the drastic change in Red's personality. But some, however, take issue with this explanation. Not the head trauma, but the cause of it. So it has everything to do with Red's father, Sam. You see, despite his reputation as an upstanding, godly man, Sam Hall had a darker side, one that was only revealed to his family. Sam was incredibly strict, stern, and overbearing, completely unlike our Sam, who is a really, really sweet guy. We love you, Sam. Yes. Ever the obedient wife, Sam's wife, Eva, <laughs> kept <laughs> that... Eva kept quiet and did not stand between her children and their father's fury. Once, when Red was still a preteen, he was working the fields when his father Sam became enraged. Several members of the family watched helplessly as the man grabbed a cotton stalk and proceeded to beat Red to a bloody pulp. One of the witnesses was Red's cousin Connie, whose father was John, Sam's brother. Connie said, quote, Oh, can we play that music? He beat him something terrible like an animal. I'd never seen anyone do that. Uncle Sam was meaner than a junkyard dog, a preacher with horns, like Diablo. However, once Red was in his mid-teens, he matched his father in size, strength, and stubbornness. He became the only one in the family to stand up and even talk back to Sam Hall. 
I guess he finally got sick of catching the worst of his father's rage. So some believe the change in Red came after one too many beatings at the hands of his father, who came up with the hay-hauling story to cover his own ass. That's mm. the other theory. Mm-hmm. Either way, whatever happened, it was so long ago, there's surely no way of ever knowing what was the real cause. Yeah. Well, this brings us to 1938. And this is when two big things happened in 17-year-old Red Hall's life. One, he met his first wife. And secondly, he committed his first murders. Wow. 11 of them, according to Red. Yeah, that's uh, life-changing a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to be, I thought I was going to start out more subtly, but yeah. That's no, crazy. he just jumped right in. Okay. We halls tend to do that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Despite being a pastor's son, Red didn't go to church much. However, he'd seen a pretty young lady leaving the Marcus Hill Church a few times and decided to attend a sermon in order to meet her. Kind of like the story you said, you told, Ivan, where mm-hmm. there was a cute girl at church and you decided to to suffer through it so you could get her number. Yeah. 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 Did that work? How did that work out? I can't remember. Mm. I can't remember. I don't think it, it didn't work. It I must know not it have because if you don't remember it. Yeah, yeah, it didn't work. Right. All right. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. <laughs> Red cleaned up nice and had a nice smile. He could also smooth talk when he had to, and he used all these things to his advantage when introducing himself to this mystery woman. Her name, turns out, was Walsy McKee, and she lived next door to the church with her mother. She was incredibly sheltered and had barely ever left town. Therefore, she was totally enamored by Red's tales of hitching and train hopping his way around Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas. What he left out of his stories were the numerous robberies he'd committed, holding the good Samaritans who gave him a ride at gunpoint before stealing their money, clothes, and sometimes cars. That's probably a good idea to leave that out. (laughs) Or put it in, he's so industrious. I don't know. Red basically swept Walsy off her feet, and the two began courting right away. Over the next several months of dating, Red was only around about half the time. Then, as usual, and usually without a word, he'd disappear again. Red had grown fond of Kansas, and especially Salina. He returned there more than most other places, and in the spring of 1938, he was there again, working on a farm just outside of town. This pay was next to nothing, but that was okay. When money got low, he'd simply walk a couple miles from the farm, stick out his thumb, and flash a bright smile to the first car that passed by. According to Red, it never took more than one or two cars before he had a taker. Then he'd simply rob the poor motorist and be on his way. So Red always had a pocket full of cash. Yeah. Had a good side hustle. Yeah. Due to the Union Pacific Depot, Salina was booming and new people were arriving daily. And there was never a shortage of fresh new faces in town. On the weekends, Red would hitch into town and hang around the nightclubs that filled to capacity after sundown. There, he met one of those newcomers to Salina. She was a pretty young black woman with a bright red lipstick and a purple skirt. She asked Red if he had change for a dollar, and he replied, sure, as he stepped into a darkened alley. She followed, and according to Red, this is when he committed his first murder. Well, after toiling in the hot Kansas fields for a few more weeks, Red ended up on a ranch in Arizona owned by a man named George Shoemaker. Red mainly drove a truck there, and he was in the company of several dozen migrant workers from nearby Mexico. These workers came and went regularly between working the ranch and traveling back to their native towns. Red soon noticed that no one batted an eye or asked a question when one of these workers would disappear. So he decided to start robbing them. 
Over the course of a couple months, Red would bide his time and catch one of them alone. Then he would march them into the desert and rob them and murder them, either by shooting or beating them to death. Yeah, because he probably knew exactly when they had kind of a peak amount of money, right? Yeah, because they probably all got paid at the same time. Sure, yeah. It's like of mice and men. Remember mm-hmm. that movie? Yeah. Like everybody, it was usually monthly. Sure. And usually everybody got their, what do they make a month, like 10 cents? <laughs> yeah. Whatever it was. Not much. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, a lot of those people would save it for a long amount of time and then take it home. You know, now they, Western Union at home mm-hmm. sometimes. But yeah, so probably he waited till they saved up a good amount of money and then they were about to leave and then took them out. Yep. I remember, and it was pretty damn close to this exact time frame in Kansas, not Salina, but I think Coffeeville. Uh, my granddad worked on a farm, and it was the Smith and Stumps farm. I'll mm-hmm. never forget that. And he would always say uh, his wage was 50 cents a day in dinner. Wow. Yeah. So that was, and we're talking in the early 40s by this point. So that's what I'm telling you. That's what's weird about this. My halls and this hall were intertwined all throughout this exact time period yeah. in the same places. It's very bizarre. Red later uh, claimed to have done this to 10 men, 10 migrant workers there in Arizona. And once you include the poor soul he killed in uh, Salina, Kansas, supposedly, that equals the 11 murders that he claimed to have committed in 1938. After uh, tiring of ranch work in Arizona, Red returned to Happy Valley and to his waiting girlfriend. Not long after his arrival, he and Walsey got married on July 16th, 1939. They rented some farmland five miles away in Enola, not Inola, that's Oklahoma, but Enola, the nearest town of any size and the nearest post office. Walsey's mother, Amanda, moved in with the newlyweds to help tend the house while Red was out working the farm. Those who knew him were surprised when Red actually seemed to settle down for once. For more than a year, he stayed at the small farmhouse with his new bride and mother-in-law and tended the land. Then, one evening in November of 1940, Red ducked his head in the door and said... I'll be back in a little while. Two weeks later, Walsey received a postcard from Red uh, from Galveston Harbor in Texas, over 500 miles away. After being gone nearly two months, Red showed back up on Christmas Day. When she demanded to know where he had been, Red replied, No place special. Did you get my card? (laughs) Sent a card at least. Yeah, I just, What do you want from me? Most guys, if like, if I'm going to go hang out with my friend, if they would even come back 30 minutes late from that, 30 yeah. minutes late, yeah, she'd be like, where were you? Yeah. But two months, he's like, didn't you get my card? What's with this? What's with this questions? I never thought to send a card. <laughs> Snail mail takes too long. You send your wife a postcard from a town that's 15 minutes away. Yeah. It's like, what? Where have you been? <laughs> you get back four days before the card gets there. <laughs> Sorry I was late the other night. <laughs> so, Walsey was both relieved and understandably upset, but Red tried to appease her with a bolt of expensive, ornate fabric and a large bag of hard candy, both of which he said he'd bought in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Oh, well, I've heard of that. Yeah, have you heard of that? <laughs> so I said what's cool about this story is, like, we've been to so many of these places. Yeah. Like a thousand times. Well, this was in the 40s, okay? And women tended to put up with a lot more back then. But she had a fear that, you know, he's going to do this again, right? Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't be wrong. The following spring, Walsey discovered she was pregnant. And Red seemed genuinely excited. Then, just a couple months later, 
He told his wife and mother-in-law, that is, that he needed to head into town. Well, that sounds familiar, <laughs> doesn't it? I just need to run into town for a minute. <laughs> he didn't come back. Their newly planted crop was just coming up. So Red's father, Sam, and oldest brother, Lawrence, pitched in to tend the farm in Red's absence. Then, 10 days later, so this was a shorter jaunt, Walsy got a letter saying Red was okay. So never mind, it maybe wasn't a short. He just got a letter. I wrote this a while back, so forgive me. Then, two weeks after that, he returned home once again. So it was a shorter jaunt. Suck my butt. <laughs> Walsy was understandably... <laughs> no one's questioning I'm you. I'm arguing with myself. No. <laughs> I'm arguing with myself. Sam and I are good. You're good, man. That's your inner demons. <laughs> Quiet them down and keep going. I'm arguing with people in my past who live in my head who have... That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Walsy was understandably very upset. And Red actually cowered when she sternly told him that this place was his home with her and their unborn child. Stop gallivanting around. Letters and cards aren't doing it. That's right. Ain't helping. No. After After this, he did stick around for a while, at least until the birth of their child. Walsy went into labor on Christmas Day. Again, a year later, 1941. But something was wrong. Dr. E.M. Ingram was called to assist, but the baby was uh, in breech position. And when I said a year later, I meant a year later from the last time he showed up from when he was gone, not a year later from when he got pregnant, because we all know that it's eight months gestation period, not a year later. So, I'm again, I'm arguing with people in my own head. Micro machines. <laughs> <laughs> what was his name? John Mashita. You're just so weird for knowing that. After a long, difficult labor, Dr. Ingram walked into the next room where Red was waiting to let him know his son was not going to survive delivery. Mm. This is where you're going to feel bad for Red, even though uh, he's not a great dude. Red was so distraught, he fell to the floor convulsing for a short while before coming back to his senses. And by the time he came back to his uh, senses, uh, his child had passed away. Yeah, but at this point, he had killed several migrant workers and stole their money. Yeah, according to him, 11 people in total. Mm. And Red was maybe genuinely upset. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. After this, Red was the dutiful husband Walsey always wanted. He was attentive, helpful, understanding, and did everything he could to help his wife overcome the horrible ordeal she'd just been through. But in just a few short months, Red started to get that itch again. And by now, his wife could see it beforehand. She pleaded with him to tell her why he had to go again. Red broke down sobbing. He said he didn't know why. He didn't even understand it himself. He just had to go sometimes. Yeah. He couldn't explain it. Still wiping tears from his cheeks, he walked outside and to the highway and stuck out his thumb. Walsey didn't see him again for six weeks. As a sad old country song played. Walked outside to the road again, stuck out my thumb into the wind, waiting for a truck to slow on down to take me out of town. So I kill that guy and take his money away. He's a migrant worker only here till Sunday. No one will ask questions. I don't know what else. I don't know where I can't. What go rhymes there. with questions? You painted uh, us into I, a I corner. shouldn't have done that, should I? Well, I'm just basically, I mean, that's basically the MO of this guy. I mean, no one's going to ask where those guys are. Oh, figured no one would ask any questions. I'd like to get away. I'm open to suggestions. <laughs> We've got a hit number one tune featuring Red Hall and the Serial Killer Band. Okay. After his return, he, his wife, and mother-in-law moved 60 miles south to England, England, Arkansas, to share crop. 
Walsey hoped the new setting would help quench her husband's wanderlust, and it worked for a good while. But working the cotton fields was hard, hard work, and the landowner was soon demanding red toil from sunrise to sunset, and red soon quit. This ended up being a good decision, though, because from there, the halls moved 30 miles northwest to Little Rock. Okay. Everyone's which, heard of Little Rock. Which we're northwest of Little Rock right now, looking at London. Oh, it's, there is a London. It's just a little bit west of Russellville. It's right on 40. Yeah. Oh, wow. Then yeah. I'm drove by it then. That's crazy. See, after getting to Little Rock, uh, Red got a driving job uh, for the Yellow and Checker Cab Company. So he was a taxi driver. Not only was the work way easier, but the pay was better too. Walsey got a job at the Jackson Cookie Company, and for probably the first time ever, the halls were doing well, really well. Jackson Vanilla Wafers. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, hell. That's awesome. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that. But as always, Red eventually felt the call of the open road. By now, though, Walsey expected it. With Red gone on his random trips, she was able to hold their finances together now, since she was working too. And thankfully, Red had uh, turned out to be a pretty good cab driver. So even when he would disappear for weeks or months at a time, when he showed back up the Yellow and Checker Cab Company, they would always hire him right back. Hmm. Over and over and over. Then in the fall of 1942, Walsey had big news for Red once again. She was pregnant again. Oh, no. Yeah. Red, again, was supposedly elated. He temporarily returned to being a doting, attentive husband. And on May 11th, 1943, Walsey gave birth to a healthy baby boy. A few weeks later, Red disappeared. (laughs) See ya. For the next little while, life for the Halls returned to normal, though. At least their normal. Walsey worked, now at Colonial Bakery, and Red drove a cab in the city when he wasn't out gallivanting around the country, that is. But now Walsey was also raising a baby, much of the time on her own, and she finally had enough. One day, while Red was gone, she packed up her things, took their son, and left. When Red returned, he was unfazed. In fact, instead of trying to win his wife back, he asked for a divorce, stating that he was tired of their mother, or of her mother, not their, (laughs) tired of her mother living with them and uh, always getting in their business. Well, she probably had to be there to help the wife when he was gone gallivanting around. Yeah, and always getting in their business was her probably saying, Red, oughtn't you need to stay around and take care of your baby? Ah, (laughs) in my business. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Walsley happily granted the divorce, and Red was ordered to pay $10 a month to support his kid. Now, that's, in today's money, about $160 a month, which is still almost nothing. Yeah. So he he didn't have a huge responsibility. Now, for his part, and I look, devil's advocate, Red never missed a payment. Okay. So there's that. Okay. <laughs> Killed a lot of people, really good, on his child support. Abandoned his family, <laughs> but he made it right in the pocketbook. That's right. All right. Hey, I mean, that's that's a, that's data. That's a fact. Yeah. There you go. I wonder how many months he was like, well, oh, the first is almost here. Got child support. I ain't got no money. And then you go kill a hitchhiker. Yeah. Or kill a, someone, you know, a hitchhike E. Yeah. What would you call it? Yeah. Yeah. To make that payment. I don't know. Yeah, sorry. I got a family to feed. (laughs) Nothing personal. (laughs) However, just as Red, no doubt thrilled to be single and unattached to his wife or anything else or anyone else, was getting set to take on the road once again, he got snatched up this time by the U.S. government. Wow. that's, That's weird because now he can run, but he can't. Yeah. 
Because it's fate. It was 1943. We uh, all know. Yeah, drafted. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Red uh, got drafted in 1943. You know, World War II was in full swing. Uh, 3.3 million American boys got drafted into the war, and he was one of them. Red ended up being inducted on October 19th and shuttled to a Navy training base, but his military career was brief. After just six weeks, Red Hall was discharged from the armed forces due to, quote-unquote, indifference. Hmm. Red didn't know or care what that meant. He was just happy to be a free man again. He was indifferent about it. Eh, I don't like the military. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or I'm sure a lot of guys thought that. Same thing that had to stay there. Yeah, but indifference is like, you don't care either way, so they're like... Do you want to fight? It's like, I don't know. Do you want to go home? No, I don't know. It's like, well, you can't make up your mind. Go home. (laughs) Well, I did do some research into that. That was just kind of a a 40s term for dishonorable discharge because he just sucked. Mm. He just was a shit soldier. And he was dishonorably discharged. Basically what that meant. Yeah. You think with all that killing he'd done already, he'd be pretty good at it. You would think he would be ready to go over there and kill. Yeah. Over that hill over there is a bunch of migrant workers with pockets full of money. Go! There you go, Red. (laughs) But maybe to him, he was like, you know, he would personally gain nothing from killing people in the war. You know? He probably, like, had some kind of twisted morals, like, I only kill for me, right? (laughs) I only look out for number one. Yeah. You know, it's like... You don't tell me when to kill. I tell me when to kill. I t- only I tell me. Oh, you sound indifferent to me. Go home. Get out of here. Yeah. Out of the military, free once again, Red went back to Little Rock and his old job as a cabbie. He didn't know it yet, but his future second wife had just arrived in town as well. Mm. Her name was Fayreen Clemens. She was pretty, lighthearted, and feisty. She'd grown up on a farm in Lone Oak, but left at the age of 17 to live with her half-brother Bill Stevenson and his wife Muriel in the big city of Little Rock. Uh, Lone Oak is where I went to take my uh, class three operator's license test for my job. You know, a little known fact, it was called Twin Oaks, but then this kid in this time machine ran over one of them. <laughs> and now we have a time rift and they it's Lone Oak. It's from Lone now. Oak. Yeah. Stinking Just teenagers and radiation suits. I do want to, spe- I want to clarify, it's spelled L-O-N-O-K-E. Yeah. But. Took the wind out of myself. I'm there, sorry. Didn't you? Well, I didn't know if anyone would look at me like, ah, hey, he's full of shit. <laughs> I was looking for <laughs> Lone Oak. I believed him until Joe <laughs> ruined it. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. you're good, man. <laughs> well, not long after that, she made an even bigger move to St. Louis, Missouri, right? So she, she moved to Little Rock. Then she moves to St. Louis, Missouri. She gets a job there as a cashier at a restaurant, uh, but didn't stay there long. She came back to Little Rock, probably to be closer to her family, which actually ends up sucking. It was a bad decision because that's where she meets Red Hall. Mm. And that's not going to work out great. No, that's not going to be good. Well, this was around January 1944, and this was when she met Red, like I said. And as he was usually able to do when he set his mind to it, Red swept Faye off her feet. And after a whirlwind romance, the pair got married just a couple months later in March of 1944. Mm. I also want to say, though, that seems really short. I think back then, people were, were way more apt to marry early. My, okay, so my grandmother and my grandfather met in like 
early September of 1940. Mm-hmm. My mom, she's my grandmother. I call her mom. You know, remember that for future reference. She went to this revival at like a Brush Arbor outdoor. I can tell you exactly where it is to this day in Oklahoma. My granddad, my dad went there as well. And he saw her much like Red saw, you know, mm-hmm. uh, took a fancy to her and talked to her throughout the service and then asked her if he could drive her home, which her home was that 40, 50 acres I just told you about okay. earlier that her granddad and, or her dad, sorry, and Uncle Joe had cleared. He wanted to drive her home, which was only two or three miles from there. Now she, again, people, this was the 40s. My mom was 16 and my dad was 22. Okay. He asked if he could drive her home. She was always told to never get in a car with a boy or man or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had a Model T Ford, so she stood on the running board. And I'm not, this is true. (laughs) She stood on the running board and he rolled down the window. She stood on the board on his side and she held to the door and he drove real slow and drove her home and they talked. That sounds like a cool scene from a movie or whatever. Yeah. Like I could see it cut perfect. It's like... Mama told me to never get in a car with a grown man. Yeah. So I stood on the running board. Yeah. Yeah. Then I see them like staring at each other and they don't say anything. And then you see the car going down the road and she's like standing yeah. there. Dude, I've pictured it. I, I see yeah. her flowery dress kind of flopping in the wind as he's going kind of slow and they're talking, you know. Dude, I have yeah, pictured it. And he's trying to woo her, but it's like she's, you know, it's like the car's moving fast yeah. and they could, they're probably having to talk really loud. Yeah, yeah. That's that's awesome. Nice. Dude, nice little it. tale. I paint a picture there. Yeah, I Very tried cool. to, every every story they told me, man, I've really tried to stick yeah, in that's the old neat. memory banks. That's really cool. But I I said all that to say from the day they met when he drove her home on the running board, they were married a month later. Wow. They got married October 9th, 1940, and they were together until October 8th, 2001, just one day short of 61 years later when he died. So that's wild. Wow. Yeah. They knew each other like a month yeah. and they were yeah. married almost 61 years. <laughs> she stepped on the running board and that was him sweeping her off her feet. That was it, I guess. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That's a neat story. But I would really like But he to, wasn't a murderer. I would like to make clear that Red and Faye did not stay married for 61 years. She didn't even live for 61 years. Okay. Very different story. Okay. But, you know, I think people really got married quickly back then. Sure. Man, and they just started popping out kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They did that for sure. Okay. So, anyway, they got married a couple months later in March of 44. Uh, Faye surely didn't know what she had just signed up for, though. Shortly after their nuptials, Red's fiery temper and wandering ways became evident. It's almost like she didn't get to know him that well in those two months. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we should have vetted him a little longer. (laughs) However, Red was in for a surprise himself. Unlike his first wife, who was timid and, you know, shy, Faye was bold and independent. And instead of cowering down to Red, she stood up to him, at least until he began to hit her. Oh, man. But even then, she remained defiant. She also insisted she tag along during his random trips away from the house. He hated that the most. So when he was like, hey, I'm going to town. I'll be back in three months. She was like, I'm coming with you bitch you know she just went with him yeah <laughs> and he was like what's this all about yeah called this bluff that's yeah. awesome I'm, dude i yeah i would have loved to have met her i mean because she sounds like she just wasn't taking any shit off this guy. yeah a little while after getting hitched the pair went to lone oak so red could meet Faye's parents az and ada clemens 
Her father's impression of his new son-in-law matched many who met Red. In his own words, he said, quote, He made a fine appearance and had a wonderful personality until you knew him and found the devil in him. Hmm. Faye had quickly found this out as well, and it wasn't long before she was wearing fresh bruises when she showed up at her parents' house. And although she made excuses at first, she broke down pretty quick. After just a few months of marriage, Faye admitted to her father, I can't make it much longer with Red. Faye would turn out to be exactly right, but not quite in the way she meant. Oh, no. Yeah. That July, not long after the conversation with her father... Faye did leave Red. She made uh, a new friend named Dorothy Barton, whose husband was away from home for an extended project for work. So Faye moved in with her. The girls got along great, but after only three weeks, Faye began to feel guilty over leaving her new husband, and she decided to give it another shot. Mm. She returned to Red, and the couple rented a small apartment from a man named W.A. Woods on August 25th. As she excitedly settled into her new place, Faye had no way of knowing that in less than three weeks, she would be dead. And we'll pick up there on part two. You son of a... (laughs) No, I knew you were going to do that. I could tell. I could tell you were going to do that. Uh, Yeah, man. Man, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. It's going to get good. Yeah. And by that, I mean bad, but interesting. Yeah. Old Uncle Red, he was a crazy guy. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell of a relative you have there, Joe. Did I elaborate earlier when I was saying, like, I'd called my mom, for those of you not keeping up, my my other mom, my biological mom, not my grandmother mom, who is no longer with us, but I called my my living mom. And I, I was so excited, I was like, oh, there's a serial killer. He's like one of the biggest serial killers in Arkansas history, and I'm pretty sure he's related to us. And she's like, how sure is he though? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm a psycho. So I'm excited about it. But my mom is like, please tell me yeah. he's not really want to her me. name to be mud. <laughs> so I honestly don't know. I, I created an ancestry.com account and then I didn't really dig into it after that. So I'm just going to, I was just like, you know what? I'll just say that he is. And, uh, yeah, go from there, I think you're going to have a little trouble with hall. I, I mean, it's for, super common for my surname is a little easier, but your best friend on that is if you find someone linked to a few generations back that have actually done your homework for you. Yeah. I got lucky in a lot of you my did. lines. You traced yours. Someone traced yours all the way back to the Civil War, right? Uh, way before that. I, oh, wow. I, I'm back in one line to the 1600s somewhere. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know on my grandmother's side, uh, someone did that work, and there's a book of of her maiden name that goes back to the late, or mid to late 1700s. Yeah. But as far as my dad's side, I his great my great grandfather is Andrew Jackson Hall. Oh, okay. And before that I don't really I'm not too sure, so and that only goes back to the early 1800s, so. When Andrew Jackson's a great guy. Great guy. <laughs> good good vibes already in my family. Tree. I have, I have a relative that served with him in the War of 1812 and actually wrote like a poem about it. See, you have a that's so bad. I just, but I but I'm saying I just stumbled upon this cuz somebody else found it. Yeah. So anyway. Hey, by the way, really quickly, there's a case I need to find someone in my family uh, my my mom used to talk about it and she's no longer with us, but there was I think it was one of her brother's kids and this was in the 60s or 70s got on a train and left I want to say Oklahoma or maybe it was Kansas for California and just no one ever heard from him again. Whoa. Ever. 
Yeah, yeah he that'd freaking be... vanished. Yeah. So that'd be a really good something to try to dig into later, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, man. That'd be pretty cool. There's like multiple disappearances in my family. That's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, there yeah. are. You've told me about a bunch. Yeah. Wild. Anyway, yeah. So that's Red Hall Part 1. Old Uncle Red, he was a crazy cuss. And we'll get into his real dark deeds in Part 2 and 3 of this series. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Talk to you next time. I'm a little-